Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We are in a series called the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Now, some of you may be familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Some of you may have never heard about it before, and that is totally fine. If you weren't around last week, uh, James kind of did an introduction in his talk about what the, the Apostles' Creed is. And it's basically a statement of beliefs that the global church uh, kind of hold to and believe. And it's, it's stuff that's in the Bible. My Bible is in, over there somewhere. Uh, yeah, that, over there. So it's a statement of beliefs that are all held in the word of God. And it's been condensed down. So you won't find this Apostles' Creed that we're going to mention in the Bible. Just want to make that really clear. It's not the word of God. Just want to make that really clear. Uh, but it is built upon some truths that are in the word of God to help us understand a massive God. And we can try and sort of squash it in so we can actually recite things and say things together. So churches in right now, there'll be churches that are reciting the Apostles' Creed as a reminder about who the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are. Creeds, they're a bit like suitcases. You know those like awesome suitcases you get that are like not the fixed ribbed ones, but like the, the flexible ones. That, and I was going to do an illustration, but I didn't have enough stuff. Like getting duvets and you can just keep, keep like, it zips everywhere. You keep filling it up and it just crams loads of stuff in. Uh, I did have an analogy about a balloon, but Zoe said it was rubbish, so I won't, uh, I won't do that. But it's a way of condensing lots of information, material and truths into a small thing. Okay, so that's what the, the creed is. And uh, last week, James did uh, the Father, the Almighty Father. Uh, we're doing it in three sessions, Almighty Father. I, I've got the Son today, which is wonderful. I'm really thankful for that. Uh, and uh, next week, Johnny Meller uh, is going to come and talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we can't possibly, having crammed all of this stuff into the creed, it would be stupid for me over the next 15 to 20 minutes to try and pull everything out. Of that, just so you, to kind of gauge your expectations, I can't do a complete overview of the wonderful truth that is about Jesus Christ. I can't do that. But what I will do is just we're going to look at a passage in a minute. I'm going to pull out some things that I hope uh, we will find helpful. But I thought it would be good for us to read the creed together. Uh, it's not something we tend to do in our our style of church. You, you maybe go to some churches and they're a bit more traditional uh, in their model and they'll recite this uh, together almost weekly or definitely weekly. Uh, we don't tend to do that, but I just want to stand up. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's actually some really good stuff that can come out of doing that. Uh, but let's, let's read it together and then we kind of know what we're talking about. So, have we got it, James? One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. There's some great truth in that. I hope that it kind of just like, you've read that and just thought, you know, I don't think about that bit very much, or I haven't thought about that for a while. And that's the whole point, is it helps remind you of the, like a fuller picture of what we're talking about. So we're looking at the sun. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 11. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it'll be, it's one of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. It's in the back half of your Bible, in the bit called the New Testament. And you can find this book called John. And we're looking at uh, chapter 11, verses, starting at verse 21. I'm going to ask uh, Zoe or Aaron to come up and, and read it for us. Aaron's, Aaron's going to read it to us. Let's read it off here. Okay. Lord, Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection and the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who, who has come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And he's, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but, this, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house confident her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping uh, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man um, kept this man from, uh, from dying? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When Jesus had said this, Jesus, when, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Then the dead man came out with his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, 
take off the grave, take off grave clothes and let him go. Great. Thanks, Aaron. It was longer than I told him it was going to be. Important to get the full picture, though, of what's going on. So we've joined this story. You've got these, these few characters. You've got Jesus and his disciples, eager to learn about him, follow him. In fact, uh, when we, just before this, Jesus said, Listen, I've got to go back. I've got to go back to, to Lazarus. And Thomas, the disciple, he's hilarious. He goes, oh, I suppose we'll all go back and die then. And just sort of like, it's like this sort of moany, sort of like, I've lost sight of the glory of God. But it's just like, yeah, okay, death. It seems, it seems like it's about death. And heads up, today is going to be a bit of talking about death. But there's a few links between what we've just read and the Apostles' Creed. Perhaps you saw some of those links, and if not, I'll try and draw some for you. Number one, Martha knew who Jesus was. Uh, she seemed to have really known Jesus. She would have known about him healing blind men, making them see again, offering like a new life, a new experience. <coughs> and she practically writes the first segment of this part of the creed that we're in. When she says in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. That would be really easy to skim over, I think, like when you're reading the Bible. So, yeah, of course she believes it. But actually, there's so much going on there. Uh, The Messiah, the Christ. She calls him the Messiah. In the creed, it's referred to as the Christ. They basically mean the same thing. It's the chosen one. It's the the promised one. The one who's been anointed by God. They've lived through generation after generation of of waiting for the rescuer. Waiting for the one who's going to fix all the problems right from the beginning of Eden and out of Exodus. And when king after king fail miserably to fulfill this glory and the promise of God to bless all the nations of the world, there has not yet been the one to do that. But there's been this whisper throughout the whole of the Old Testament of the one who's going to fix it all coming out of the tribe of David. And she understands that Jesus is that one. So she, she's, she's clear on all of that. We have to do quite a lot of legwork because we're not Jews and we don't often carry all of that history with us. But it is an important thing. She recognises that no, no, he's the problem fixer, basically. Second thing she knew is that he's the son of God, not just another man or, you know, a man with a little bit of authority. No, no. She knew the fullness of God's character dwell within the person of Jesus. Often when we talk about father, son, certainly in, in the Bible, there's a sort of a likeness, you know, like if you're a father, it's like oh, you look, you've got your, your dad's eyes or something like that. There's, there's a likeness that comes in. Jesus is like the, the fullness of that. He's the, the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what this almighty God that you've been worshipping for generations is like, suddenly you look at Jesus. Then you get a full picture of that. So you knew he was the son of God. Again, that's the second bit in the, in the creed. And lastly, for Martha, she knew Jesus as her Lord. Jesus said to her, on the resurrection and the life. And when you're... When your brother's dies and someone says something like this to you, it's going to shake you up a little bit. But right now, on this semi, like, pretty cold Sunday morning in North Birmingham, it can go straight over our heads, can't it? But imagine for a moment that someone close to you has just died and you hear someone say this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one, in, uh, the one who believes in me will live. 
though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This is the cutting bit. Do you believe this? Eyeballs Martha right there. Do you believe this? I think that's something for each one of us to take out of this story this morning. It's okay to know about this stuff. It's okay to believe that maybe this stuff happened. There was a conversation between Jesus. There was a dead guy and his sister. But there's a question for you this morning. Do you believe this? Lord is uh, an important word. That's the sort of third bit in this creed. He's our Lord. There's a sense of together he's our Lord. But for him to be corporately our Lord, it takes lots of individuals that understand that he is my Lord. He's my Lord, he's your Lord, he's your Lord, and together he's our Lord. Lord has, I think it's got a bit of a bad rap, that name, over the last uh, 100 years or so, certainly in the UK. There's a website when I was preparing this, you can buy a Lordship, £195. Do you got that? If you've got that spare £195 in your pocket, you can, it's, it's probably like, it's probably never going to see that ever again. But you could buy one, you could buy a Lordship. And I think that's a symbol of how flippant we give away that, the title of Lord now. Huh? I'll tell you later, Dave. I'll, I'll give you the website later. I think that one of the important things when thinking about Lordship or lords, is that it's not just a title for the individual, which is why it's so preposterous to buy the title lord. Like, what do you think you're doing? Like, lord only really matters when there are people that you are in authority, care, or in charge of. People that you're having to make respons- like responsible choices for. Me walking around calling myself lord, is probably going to get me beaten up. If I go up to someone and say that's Lord, actually. <laughs> I don't know what sort of, sort of faces you think you'll get uh, when, uh, when you go around doing that. Uh, yeah, I don't think that just by calling yourself a Lord, you're going to get a free dinner, uh, I'm afraid. <laughs> so Lord basically means in authority over. We might use the word, like in England, we have, we, have, we have the House of Lords, don't we? And, we? and sometimes we go straight to kind of government. And that's not a bad thing. But especially at the moment where there is actually lots of mistrust of those that are lords and in charge of making responsibilities for our day-to-day life. What about my, my money? What about the tax rates that are going up? And actually, if we're honest, there's lots of, well, it doesn't bother you, does it? You're loaded. You're a lord. And it's come out of this sort of, in, in sort of British history, it's come out of a, a hierarchy of society that lord it over the rest of society. Lord is a sort of, has been like a negative control for generation after generation. But that is not the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the most perfect lord you can imagine. I wish I had the words to describe it. I wish I was better at preaching this morning because I want you to understand the beauty of coming before Jesus. You, you are my lord. And the safety that you can feel as a result of saying, do you know what? Other people have lorded over me and it went really badly for me. It really hurt or it's painful. But Jesus is the most safe place you could ever put your, uh, your, your, have authority over, over you. I think if you think you can get by without putting Jesus as Lord of your life, you default 
And the only person that becomes Lord of your life is yourself. And I don't know how well that has gone for you in your life, but there are times where I look back and think, I'm making a really wise decision here. And I've lived long enough to know after four or five years, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Suddenly you get a new value. Like, actually, do you know what? The world's not about money. I feel better when I, I give. I feel better when I spend time with family as opposed to going on a nice trip myself, for example. We suddenly, we grow up, don't we, in our life. And it's, there's something important about recognising Jesus is this perfect Lord of our life. Uh, fourthly, in the creed, uh, the next bit, after, after the creed sort of declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord, the Son of God, talks about him being miraculously born to a virgin. I'm not going to dwell on this point. However, I will say this. 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a whisper in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's, that is significant. Because had he not have been born a virgin, there's loads of stuff that doesn't make sense. But I want to reassure you, there's stuff that's been going on, this thread that's been going on in the Old Testament. Ah, oh, crescendo, Jesus, ah, oh, it's about you. And we see that. But it's not in this passage, so I'm going to move on. Fifthly, Jesus suffered... Jesus suffered uh, in many ways on earth uh, in his life. We see his suffering straight away in this passage we've just read, don't we? The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. The suffering right now. They're in the creed. It talks about Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And it talks about a different specific type of suffering. But I just want to camp in the suffering that Jesus experienced with his, uh, with his good friend Lazarus who had died. Jesus saw compassion on those around him, but he would have also felt very earthly emotions of sadness. He's no stranger to suffering. Even in the midst of death, Jesus wants to know he shares in your pain and your sadness. So I don't care if you lost someone when you were six years old or when you were 60. Jesus understands the pain of grief and sadness and loss. He felt it himself. And there's a great way we can come, not before Jesus our Lord, and say, listen, I know I should be doing better, but I'm just feeling a bit sad right now. No. Nah. The Jesus we have, he comes alongside us, wraps his arm around us. I know, brother. I know. And he feels it. It's really important, I think, that we understand that Jesus isn't this far off with a whip hitting you, telling you to do better. He's a God who comes alongside you with grace and compassion in your brokenness and your pain as you reflect on, I'm not going to see my friend again. We can walk through with Jesus. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I felt like really important to share that I think Christians don't always handle grief well. Because we believe in eternity, we sometimes feel like we've got to numb the pain that we walk through in the midst of losing someone. That's not true. The Bible talks about us celebrating and weeping together. That's why I love the church. (laughs) Jesus suffered in lots of other ways. I've got nine here. Maybe you can tick off how many you relate to. He suffered loneliness, racial prejudice. He was betrayed, 
by friends. He suffered rejection from his family. He was homeless and he was hungry. He was poor. He was spat on, mocked, scorned and scourged. And ultimately, he suffered the most painful, gruesome way by trained torturers when he died on the cross. Jesus is no stranger to suffering, friends. When we read in the Creed, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. There's a lot more that we can pull out of that. Jesus actually died. The sort of sixth bit in the Apostles' Creed that we're looking at. I know it's quick fire stuff. Let me find it. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. This is important stuff to know. Lazarus had a problem, didn't he? He was dead. Death has always been a big problem for humans, hasn't it? This very week, I've been hit with a sobering reminder of the problem of death. good friend of mine. In fact, as a church, we've been praying for uh, his mum as she went and passed away. So my friend right now this morning is in mourning because he's lost his mum. Sobering to be reminded. I'll be really honest with you. I've been to two funerals in my life. It's not many. And I know that that would be a lot less than many of you in here. The first one I was too young to remember. And the second was uh, one of my boss's um, husbands. And he wasn't a Christian. I think I would describe them as humanists that believe there's the power of life inside of us humans. And that there's a lot of talk about kind of, you know, how to celebrate his memory living on. I, I just couldn't get over it. I was like, man, this is, this is not a nice place to be. This is sad. Desperately sad. Death is painful, there's no avoiding it, there's no cheating it. Every single one of us is going to die at some point. Lazarus, just like you and I, can do nothing about it. He was dead, we're still alive, but we still can't do anything about the eventuality that we're all going to die. Jesus, in this moment, I hope that's enough, having a hard time. Uh, Jesus, in this moment, reveals something of his magnificent power and authority over death. Lazarus, come out! Don't know how many of you would have the guts to go to a cemetery or go to what's they call it? What's the other place you go to? The morgue, crematorium. Dead guy comes back to life. I love the last bit in that passage that Alan read. Where is it? The grave clothes. Last one. Take off those grave clothes. Let him go. I love it. It's great, right? This dead guy comes back to life. This is a crescendo, a moment. It's like a crack of light, isn't it? You know when you're in a dark room and you crack of light, suddenly you see lots more. Now the solution, the ultimate problem of eternal life has not yet come in this story, but we see a crack, we see the window. So, oh, hang on a minute. He was dead. Now he's not dead. Perhaps there is a solution to the problem of death. 
It wasn't an eternal solution for Lazarus because he went on and physically he, he died again. The eternal problem of sin, was, uh, sorry, of death, was still very real for Lazarus and everyone else, including you and me. See, death is a byproduct of something called sin. They're locked together. They come hand in hand. Where there is sin, there is death. This is the eternal problem that has always been there right from uh, the Garden of Eden. See, where the problem of sin exists, we need to do something about it. Sin is basically us not meeting God's expectations. Not the standard that God needs for, for kind of us to join him for eternity is perfection. How many of you are perfect this morning? Maybe just this morning. Okay, last two minutes. <laughs> We're not, are we? It's impossible. It's stupid. So what is this problem to sin and death? You see, this resurrection story we've just been reading about with Lazarus, it's just the intro of this eternal song of victory over death. It's like, you know, like you start seeing a song, it's like it's drumming at the start. Oh, it's coming. Wind on, flip forward in your Bible. A few more pages. <clears throat> You're in. You understand. Ah, oh, this is what it's about. It's not just about one guy who was Jesus' mate, who he brought back to life for another 20 years. No, no, Jesus was opening a door to a much more permanent solution. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that every sin that you have ever done that meant your destiny was eternal death, whether you did them 10 years ago, yesterday, whether they're the ones you're going to do next week, here's the truth. Every single one of them gets nailed to the cross of Christ and gets put to death with him. Amen? How often do we forget it? Oh, I know, yeah, my sins have been taken away. Ah, my sins have been removed. Celebrate, rejoice, this is good news. The last bit of the creed talks about Jesus rising, or as in our section of the creed, talks about him rising again, 1 Peter 3, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't just our sins dying. It wasn't just Jesus dying. He did not stay dead. He rose again three days later. And in his resurrection, we get new life. Rejoice, church. Celebrate. This is good news. It's just like this sort of ongoing feasting that we can enjoy as Christians. It's like, Do you know what? I, there's loads of stuff that's happening and I appreciate it. I've talked about death and some of you that would be a real painful experience for. Right, let me tell you, there was good news for me this morning. I read a, a really nice tribute from my friend to his mum. She wasn't a Christian. I was praying when I was 15 for this woman to come to know Jesus. Let me tell you, there was good news this morning. He shared with me that he shared Jesus with her and she accepted and welcomed Jesus into her heart a few weeks ago before she died. That changes the tone of that funeral, guys, massively. This is good news. 
Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Mark 16, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, after he'd spoken, was taken up into the heavens, sat down at the right hand of God. And he's right now interceding for those that accept and love him. Interceding means praying for, caring for, going to God the Father, saying, please help them. Help my brother. He's weak this morning. He needs help. This is the Jesus we've got. Takes away our sin and continues to help us. This is good news. So I don't know. The Bible then goes on, and the the creed goes on to say, he's going to come again. And you just look at uh, the book of Revelation just to find out a little bit more about what that looks like. It's going to look different. I'm going to leave you with a choice this morning. There is a choice to revel and stew and consider death. There is something about a decision that must be made in your own heart. Whether that is you've been a Christian for ages and just forgotten. Oh man, this is good stuff. Why do I forget this? Maybe you don't know Jesus. And it's a challenge. What is going to happen when I die? Do I know that life-giving spirit that Jesus talks about? I'm going to pray in a moment. One of my favourite quotes ever is by a guy called Charles Spurgeon. It says, if Christ be anything, he must be everything. There's no sort of dipping in and out. There's no sort of like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of take the good stuff. Now the new life Jesus gives you is a full on, I'm in. And of course we're going to struggle. And that's why we're here as a church, because we need to talk about our struggles and how, how we, you know, maybe we want to please Jesus more. And we fail in different ways. But God sends his spirit to help us. So just enjoy it, salivate over what I've said this morning. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your obedience to your Father. The obedience to the point of death on a cross. That every stuff up, every mistake that I make has been as far removed as east is from west. There's now nothing that can separate me from your love, Jesus. Thank you, that's true and can be true for all my brothers and sisters here. Bless us, Jesus, as we go. Cause us to keep salivating over your truth. In your mighty name. Amen.